Hi, thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are beginning our new sermon series titled Acts, United by Fire. And Caleb Thompson will be speaking on Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In this sermon, we look at how often when we are waiting on God, we are waiting for the wrong thing. We frequently turn to God to change our circumstances, but we find that God is more concerned with changing and restoring our hearts. The internal change that God produces in us is then meant to flow out into the world, living not by the law, but by grace, surrendering our idea of what's best and giving it to God. Thanks, Nalanda, for reading that. I love that name for the book of Acts. The good story continues. Uh, We're starting our fall series this morning, and we're spending nine weeks looking at the book of Acts. So this is our official fall series. And Acts is, of course, the story of the formation of the church, the origin story of the church. It's an exciting story. It's full of signs and wonders and power and also a lot of tension and difficulty and struggle as well. So when you're reading the New Testament chronologically, after the Gospels you move right into the book of Acts and you see that the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, what he was all about, is carried on and continued and even expanded on by the church. The good story continues. And we've called our series United by Fire. And um, we've, we've chosen this title because we're going to focus primarily on the themes of unity and the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts has lots to teach us about the themes of uh, the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And something that you notice in the book is that unity the unity of the church often comes before and is connected to the move of the Holy Spirit. And you get almost this compounding effect in the book where the church is unified more and more and then the Holy Spirit is poured out and that leads to more unity in the church and then more work of the Holy Spirit. But the book of Acts is long and a lot happens within it So we've chosen these themes in particular to kind of guide us through the text. So this is how we're going to spend our nine weeks in the book. Um, We're going to look at how the early church was united in waiting, united in devotion, united in prayer and possessions, united in reverence, United in suffering, united with enemies, united with outsiders, and even united in disagreement. This morning we're starting at the beginning of the book. We're talking about unity in waiting. And we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 to 8, which Nalanda has already read for us. But before we jump in, can you remember a time... You had to wait for something. 
Maybe some of you are waiting for this sermon to be over. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's probably not hard to come up with something, right? Waiting is a normal part of life. It's something we do every day. I have a toddler, so I do a lot of waiting. Um, She loves to ask me questions. She loves to ask me why. And a lot of times, this is how her questions sound. Daddy, do you know why the... Why the... Why the... But do you know why the... And I'm like, spit it out. Often I try to, to guess what she's saying so that I don't have to wait. It turns out toddlers don't like waiting either. This week, May turned to me and said, I want you to vacuum. It's dirty in here. (laughs) So she doesn't like waiting until the weekend when we normally do the vacuuming. But no matter what, there's, there's always these times in life where we have to wait. And one of the worst kinds of waiting I've discovered uh, is when you've actually, you find out you've actually been waiting for the wrong thing. And in my life since following Jesus, I can think of a lot of times when I've been waiting for him to do something, to maybe change something about my life externally, my circumstances. And then I discover later that actually what I need is an internal change. I need something to change in my heart, in my mind. And I've discovered that often when I'm waiting for Jesus, he's actually waiting for me. Um, He's waiting for me to be ready for him to change my heart and renew my mind. And this is similar, I think, to what's happening in our text today with Jesus and the disciples. So we read the story, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been appearing to the disciples over this period of 40 days. I don't know if you caught that, but of course the 40 days is significant. 40 in the Bible usually means something. And it brings to mind the Israelites in the wilderness and also the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But 40 years or days represents a time of preparation. And in this context, it's preparation for the promised land. And this gives us some context for what's going on in our text today. Jesus is preparing the disciples to enter the promised land. And he spends all this time with them, teaching them, preparing them, being with them to help them get them ready for what's coming. And I want to focus in a little bit now on verses 4 to 6. So Jesus says to the disciples, wait, wait in Jerusalem until God sends the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. But then notice in verse 6, the disciples respond to this by saying, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So even after the resurrection, the disciples are still not fully grasping what Jesus has come to do and what his kingdom is all about. So even after all the parables, all the miracles of Jesus, after Jesus being crucified and raised from the dead, they're still waiting for this external kingdom. They're waiting for the overthrow and removal of their Roman oppressors. 
And I think it's easy to pick on the disciples because we have a lot more information now than they did. But I think sometimes we think in the same ways and, and do the same things that they did. So let's just enter their shoes for a moment this morning. We've talked a little bit about the significance of 40 days and the connection between this and the promised land. But this takes us back to the Exodus story, right? And I think this is significant because Luke, the author of Acts, is linking these two stories together. And we're going to discover that even more as we go on. But the Exodus story, it's familiar to us. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God's on the scene. He's working through his unlikely prophet, Moses. And in Exodus 3.17, God makes a promise about a land that he's going to lead Israel into, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is one of the promises about the promised land. And we know that then Israel is miraculously delivered from Egypt. And then they end up wandering in the wilderness, but they don't enter the land because they're afraid of the giants. So they wander in the wilderness for this 40 years. It becomes this 40 years of preparation. And then finally in Joshua, Israel enters the land, the promised land, which we discover is in fact Jerusalem, which is the same place that Jesus is telling the disciples to wait. And from here, a lot of the Bible is this ongoing story of Israel gaining and then losing control of Jerusalem, the promised land. So this is the reality that the disciples were always aware of, that they were living in. They'd grown up hearing these stories about their people and the promised land of Jerusalem since childhood. They're actually living in the land that God promised to their people for centuries. But the land is occupied by another nation. And they've heard all all their lives about this Messiah who is coming, right? Messiah is going to come and set us free and return the promised land to our people. And they've even found this Messiah. They've left everything to follow him. They followed him all the way up to the point of his death, through all the confusion, the turmoil. Now he's alive again, and this is where their question comes in. Lord, has the time come, finally, for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This is what the disciples thought they were waiting for, and they were waiting for it desperately. The text says they kept on asking Jesus. They were still waiting for Jesus to kick out the Romans and establish a literal, physical kingdom of righteousness and justice here on earth. They were waiting for this external restoration of God's kingdom. But Jesus was pretty clear, right? He said, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when they gathered in Jerusalem, they were actually waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them as God has promised. And Luke seems to be suggesting that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of God's Spirit, 
actually represents entrance into the promised land. The disciples were waiting for this external restoration, but all along God's plan was to start with an internal restoration. God, by his spirit, was going to restore us to a right relationship with himself. Our connection to God and his spirit has been fully restored by Jesus. We are reunited with God. And now we can come to God with unveiled face. Nothing between us and him. This is the promised land that the people of God had been waiting and waiting for. And the proof of this is in Pentecost, in the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read 17 to 21. And Peter is quoting uh, from the prophet Joel here. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. Before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the dawning of the age of grace where all we have to do is call on the name of Jesus and we'll be saved. And it's like Cliff mentioned to us last week. It's the year of Lord, the Lord's favor and blessing that Jesus was announcing. And as we are being restored into a right relationship with God, we're becoming more like Jesus and you see this in the book of Acts. Because God accomplishes something internally within the church, but it doesn't stay internal. It flows out of their lives and changes the world. And I want to highlight just one of the major tensions that comes up in the book of Acts. And it's, are we living by the law or living by the Spirit? And you could say it another way. You could say, are you living in the land of Egypt, wandering the wilderness, or entering the promised land? So life in Egypt is the old covenant. It's life under the law. Life in the wilderness is something in between, the law and grace. And the promised land is life led by the Spirit. It's life in this new covenant of grace. But this raises all kinds of questions in the book of Acts. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? What does that mean about the law? What parts of the law still matter? What parts of the law don't matter anymore? Who gets included in this new covenant? Who gets excluded from it? And who gets to decide all of these things? These are some of the major tensions in the book. And there's still tensions in the church today. It's been a proven struggle for humanity to accept that we can't earn God's love or favor. We have to receive it in Jesus. 
And I remember experiencing this tension between law and spirit in my early days of following Jesus. So I was an intern at a mission organization called Urban Promise in Toronto. So here's a few pictures of me looking uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed my younger years. And this was a really special place for me uh, because this was a place I really encountered Jesus for myself. And I saw Jesus through a lot of the other people there. And one of these people was a guy named Matt. And he was the assistant director at Cape and Ray Bible School in Quebec. So some of you are probably familiar with Cape and Ray out on the coast. There's also one in Quebec in the middle of nowhere, uh, very snowy in the winter, I discovered. Um, But we had this connection with the school Cape and Ray in Quebec. And so we would get to go on a trip to visit them. And then they would come uh, visit us in inner city Toronto. And it was like, wow, these are really different worlds. Rural Quebec and inner city Toronto. Um, And I think Matt uh, was the assistant director. I can't remember his last name. But I think he was one of the first people that I ever heard say, if we're beating ourselves up over sin, punishing ourselves for it, then we're actually saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. And I really needed to hear that because I was really new to the ways of grace. And in many ways, I still lived under the law. And I think many of us wrestle with this. But this was a guy who understood the difference between life in the spirit and life under the law. And he didn't just talk about it. He actually lived it out. So I remember a time when the time came for the Cape and Ray students to come visit us. And I'll be honest, I was a little grumpy about it. So let me give you some context. As interns, we had two apartments, and they were donated to the ministry. So we had a guy's apartment. It was on the third floor. And then there was a girl's apartment on the seventh or eighth floor. I can't remember. And uh, so the guys lived down on the third floor, the girls on the eighth And we were in a rough area, and this was a rough apartment. So it wasn't the nicest place. Our building had cockroaches, um, and they tried to get rid of them every year. They would like come in and do all this stuff, and it never worked. Like You just couldn't get rid of them. So at night, you'd walk into the kitchen, you'd flick on the light, and you'd just see the cockroaches scatter. Uh, So this was just normal. You get used to it. Um, One time... One of the girls came down, uh, she was visiting us, and I made some hot chocolate. And she's uh, sipping on the hot chocolate, and she's like, oh, I didn't know this was the kind that has marshmallows in it. I'm like, it isn't. And she spits out a cockroach egg. So this is the level, guys. I just want you to get a sense of the environment here. This is the setting for the story, okay? And so in this setting, you have three young guys. We were 19, 20. We already, we're not the cleanest bunch, okay? And now we're going to have three more guys coming in to stay with us, right? For a week. And I was feeling stingy. I wasn't feeling hospitable. Probably also felt guilty about that. But these guys came in. 
They came in to stay with us, and Matt was with them. And, uh, and he was living under grace. He was living uh, in God's love by the Spirit, and it was so clear and evident in him. He carried himself differently. Um, you could see that he was also seeing you through the lens of grace. Like when he talked to you, you could get the sense he was looking at you through God's grace. And uh, so in this apartment, young guys, we cleaned our bathroom fairly irregularly, okay? (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it wasn't clean when these guys came to stay with us. And I'll be honest, the bathroom was kind of like a test of the will. It was like, who's going to crumble first? and clean the bathroom. (laughs) And Matt, this guy who came in from Quebec, he willingly took an extended period of time to clean our bathroom for us. And he didn't do it out of obligation. There was no resentment. It was all grace. He actually seemed happy about it. I remember that felt so foreign to me. I don't think I ever saw the bathroom that clean. But Matt was just a normal person. He was a normal person doing a normal thing. But it was so clear that he had been with Jesus. And these were the ways that it shone through. And it marked me. It's something I still remember. Because I was grumbling and complaining that we had to be hospitable. But what I saw in Matt was someone serving out of love and not obligation. He was choosing to live by the Spirit and be freed from the law. And it was having a clear effect on him and on others. So a little while after this, we were on a trip with some of our youth to Canada's Wonderland. Has anyone ever been, had the pleasure? Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I recommend it if you're in Ontario. I love roller coasters. I don't know about you. I absolutely love roller coasters. So I had two of my youth actually a couple of the guys from the picture before. And we were, we were tight, we had a connection, so we spent our whole day on the two newest rides. There was two brand new roller coasters. I think it was Behemoth was one of them, and the other one was Leviathan, so biblical names, guys. It's <laughs> um, so we just kept lining up, and we, I think we sat on every seat on both of these roller coasters. It was awesome. But then at the end of the day, we're piling onto the bus. And there was, uh, there was a girl in our group, and she was kind of the odd one out. So when you're 13 or 14, there's already a lot of pressure to be cool, right? But in the inner city, that's like even more. Like it's like even more intense. You gotta be cool. And this girl, she just didn't fit. She didn't fit with the group. She struggled to connect with other youth socially. Uh, And honestly, she could be pretty annoying. And so the leaders also kind of were avoiding her. Um, But on this particular day, she had clearly struggled to make it to the bathroom. And everybody was teasing her and making fun of her, saying she smelled like pee. It's a pretty sad situation. And I'm sitting there, and I feel this prompt from the Holy Spirit, very gentle. It just says, Caleb, why don't you go sit beside her? And I'm like, well, but you know how you like to negotiate with God? Well, but God, you know, uh, you've given me a ministry to these young men. I think I need to just kind of stay over here with them. I I don't really want to go over there. And then again, gently, 
Caleb, why don't you go sit beside her? And I'm like, but Lord, she probably doesn't want to talk to me. You know, we don't have a lot in common. I'm just going to stay over here. But it wouldn't go away. And finally, I remembered what I saw in Matt. I was challenged by his joy and his eagerness to follow Jesus. So I got up and I went and sat beside her. And we talked the whole drive back. And I had a peace and a joy in my heart because I knew I was following the Holy Spirit. There was no compulsion. There was no resentment or grumbling. I had a joy. I was doing something that Jesus wanted me to do, something that he would have done. And I'm sharing this because I think it demonstrates how we all need to encounter people who live by the Spirit, who live under God's grace. Because the temptation is always, always, always to return to the law. It's so easy to fall back into. This is what Paul said to the Galatians about this very thing. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This is an age-old struggle, and we're not exempt from it, none of us. And Acts really focuses in on this struggle in the early church, because this is a group of people who are figuring out how to move from life under the law to life in the Spirit. And there's people on both sides. There's people eager to remain under the law because it gives them a sense of control. And then there's people on the opposite side who think living by the Spirit means they can do whatever they want. There's no law, so it doesn't matter. And so many of the tensions in the book are around this issue. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? And it's not always clear what this means. And the church doesn't always agree about what this means. I think there's at least two ways that we can avoid depending on the Holy Spirit. And one is by having a list of rules that we live by. Because who needs the Spirit? I have the rules right here. I know what to do. And another is just doing whatever we feel like. Who needs the Holy Spirit? I live under grace. I can do what I want. But living by the Spirit is way more difficult than either of these options. Because living by the Spirit means we have to surrender. We have to let go of our ideas about what's best for us and what's best for others. And we have to allow God to speak into our lives directly. And living by the Spirit is hard because it means I don't get to go into every situation with an answer or a plan prepared. I actually have to trust. I actually have to live by faith and trust in something beyond myself. I have to deny myself like Jesus taught me. But this tension is alive and well today and we feel it within ourselves and I think we have to embrace it. Because often we resolve the tension of living by the Spirit by either returning to life under the law, 
measuring ourselves by the law or by giving in and just doing whatever we feel like. But every person who doesn't know Jesus, and even some of us who do, they live under some kind of law, under judgment, under condemnation. You don't have to be religious um, to, to pick up on this. Every society, every culture, every family, there's a law or a code that you're expected to live up to. And we internalize these laws often when we're really young, and then we carry them in ourselves, and we can condemn ourselves when we fail to live up to our broken standards. And this is the land that most people live in. It's not the promised land. And so when we're meeting the standards, everything's okay, everything's good. But when we fall short, we're crushed, we're ashamed, we're condemned. And in many ways, I think the world is waiting for us, as the church, to enter it as people under grace, like Matt from my story. Because when we're living under law, we have to encounter people who know that they're accepted and loved by their creator, and who even see us through that lens. And I think this is where we often join the disciples in missing the point. Because we're not actually waiting, we're not waiting for God to fix us up or make us whole. We're actually waiting for God to make real to us what he's already done in Jesus. That's the difference, that's the shift. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He affirms that we are children of God. He affirms that the veil was torn and there's nothing left between us and the Father. This is the promised land. It's life lived in communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sang about that this morning. It's all been purchased, it's all been prepared, it's been set aside. And I think when we really get this, um, when it's really real to us in our hearts, we become very bewildering to the world around us. People living by the Spirit under grace, it's bewildering. They're freed from guilt and shame over failure. People who walk in friendship and trust with Jesus, they're motivated by love and not duty or obligation. That's foreign to experience in this world. It's a lot like bumping into Jesus himself. The good story continues. And I wanna leave you with one question this morning. And then the band is gonna come up and close with a song. But the question is simple. Are you spending more time in the land of Egypt under the law? Or are you living in the promised land of grace by the Spirit? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into the land of promise, out of the land of judgment and shame and guilt, and into a land of freedom where we're accepted as your sons and daughters. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and make this real to us in our hearts, that we would know who we are as your children, that we would not go into the world just the same as everybody around us, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, but that we would know who we are and that that would motivate us 
to serve others in love as you demonstrated for us. Jesus, we give you thanks for all that you've done. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons. Mm-hmm.